Good afternoon, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. This is Blues Views with some quick intraday comments. Uh, this is another busy week for me for um, client onboarding, um, as you all pretty much know at this point. Uh, our, our RIA was approved a few weeks back. Uh, we've been doing some compliance stuff, just trying to get ready to bring all of our clients on board to the new platform. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on. Q2 as I'm sure you realize, starts on Friday. Uh, so we're trying to get everything done by then. Uh, we're under a little bit of a, of a time crunch here. Anyway, uh, not much new in the way of Wall Street research today, but I did just want to touch base real quickly on what's been going on in the market and what I'm expecting going forward here. Obviously, uh, you know, well, just to state the obvious, we have had a huge uh, bear market rally here the last few weeks. Um, bear market rallies are notoriously vicious. They tend to go further and higher than even the most uh, seasoned veterans expect. That certainly was the case this time around. I saw a stat earlier today saying that this bear market rally uh, actually was like, it, uh, I'm trying, I think it was actually Barclays that went back and looked at it. They looked at like the last, I don't know, three or four dozen bear market rallies. And this one was like the 98th percentile in terms of the speed and and distance that it went um uh, so i guess you could call that a measure of velocity or or viciousness however you want to um, spin it uh, but basically this was a particularly nasty bear market rally <laughs> it took us i was expecting the nasdaq to test the 50 week it certainly did it blew past the 50 week it went all the way up to the 200 day moving average uh, we are now right at the 200 day moving average we broke above it yesterday uh testing it from above today uh, uh, as I, the, the chart that I've been passing around for a couple of weeks now showed that the, uh, I drew that, that red box there, that was the, the area between the 50% and 61.8% Fibonacci retracement levels. Uh, and that was of the, uh, the all time highs, which were in late November of 2021. Uh, and then of course, to the, uh, the lows, the recent lows back on March 15th. Um, so we fulfilled a complete 61.8% retracement of that entire move. Um, it just so happened to coincide with those 200 day and 50 week moving averages. So there's a lot of congestion up there. It looked today at one point early in the day, like we might actually bust through <laughs> the 61.8% Fibonacci level, uh, but we didn't, we've reversed. Uh, you know, it's important to keep in mind too, that liquidity has been even on the way, you know, both on the way down and the way up, liquidity has not been particularly good. We've had a couple of days with pretty solid volume, but for the most part, liquidity has been poor. And that's not just in stocks. It's been poor in treasuries as well. Uh, it's actually been particularly poor in treasuries. And that's something, if you look at uh, treasury volatility, that move index, there really has not been any major improvement there. Uh, bonds have continued to sell off. Um, and, you know, you've got a lot of very smart people out there um, you know, pointing out, I mean, we'll just use, we'll use the, the hedge eye terminology here, quad four, right? Slowing growth, decelerating inflation, uh, calling for a quad four or decelerate, um, excuse me, deflationary environment in Q2. That's traditionally a very good time to buy up duration, right? That's a good time to buy up the long bond. And that has proven to be disastrous advice over the last uh, few weeks here. Uh, the long, the, you know, pretty much every part of the curve has continued to, uh, the rates have continued to rise, bonds have continued to fall in price. Um, so yes, traditionally, when you're going into a deflationary environment, 
Um, it is a good time to load up on the long end of the curve. Um, but despite the fact that, you know, not that long ago, the 10 year was yielding what 1.4, 1.5%. And now it's yielding 2.4. I mean, that's percent on percent wise, that's almost a 50% move percent on percent, right? I mean, that's a, you're getting a lot more yield on a relative basis than you were not too long ago. And people still aren't interested. And what does that tell you? I think what it tells you is that the term premium, and I've been talking about this for a while now, the term premium is really beginning to reemerge. The term premium, if you recall, is the extra amount that you have to pay to borrow for longer. So the term premium is one of the things that explains the fact that to borrow for 10 years costs X and to borrow for 30 years costs X plus something else, you know, something more, right? So the, the, the biggest driver of the term premium tends to be inflation uncertainty uh, or inflation volatility, whatever you want to call it. I think what we're seeing, you know, the term premium has been suppressed for so long from, by the Fed. And, and the Fed had a lot of help there, too, because we had this Goldilocks environment for such a long period of time where China was exporting deflation. Globalization was really reaching its zenith. A lot of deflationary pressures out there that kept inflation low. Um and the, the Fed had a much easier time keeping its thumb on the scale. And obviously that all has kind of gone to hell over the last couple of years here with the pandemic coming on, the supply chain disruptions, the shift from uh, services to goods. Um, all of these things have played a huge role in driving inflation uncertainty to very high levels compared to what we've seen in a long time, really, really since the early 80s. It's the last time inflation uncertainty was this high. So that's a good explanation right there for why people just still aren't interested in treasuries, despite the fact that they've gotten so much cheaper and are yielding so much more. Now, historically, they're still yielding relatively low levels. There's no doubt about that. But the the fact that treasuries have not been able to catch any kind of a bid here, and yet big tech stocks have, has been, to me, has been quite a mystery. Um, as we all, I mean, you're looking at Apple, Apple is nearly back to its all time highs. It is, a, I don't care what anyone says. Okay. I, I know that they're a, cons- <laughs> they're a consumer stock. They have huge competitive modes protecting their product, uh, universe, uh, or ecosystem or whatever you want to call it. At the end of the day though, their stock trades like a treasury bond. It really does. It's been competing uh, with the treasury for flows from foreigners for two years now, and per- perhaps even before that. So you've got treasury bonds unable to catch a bid, and yet big tech has had this huge resurgence. It's, you know, I, it's the kind of thing where obviously everyone everyone knows my bias. I'm bearish on big tech. I'm bullish on, you know, hard assets. I'm bullish on kind of boring old economy stocks. So a disconnect like this gives me pause and it forces me to ask myself, am I missing something here? I, I don't think that I am. I think what we're just getting is we're getting this huge bear market bounce in these stocks. I think that that bounce is playing itself out. Um, and I think you're probably going to see these big tech stocks revert towards acting the way treasuries have been. Because again, inflation certainty, we, let's, let's recall that inflation uh, when we entered the year, everyone assumed inflation was going to, inflation was going to peak in February, right? It didn't. Then they thought it was going to peak in March. It didn't. Well, it might have. We'll see. <laughs> 
But there's really very little sign that inflationary pressures are starting to slow in any meaningful way. The comps are going to start to get tougher in Q2, but you know, it's anyone's guess as to, has inflation uncertainty really come down at all? Uh, you know, over the last few weeks, over the last month, let's just say, if you look at the way treasuries have traded, the answer is clearly no. Um, if you look at the way big tech stocks have traded, the answer is clearly, well, maybe. But again, who knows how much of it is just this, you know, this impulse that has been imprinted onto the market, this impulse to buy every dip blindly, uh, this impulse to assume that every time we get any kind of meaningful correction, new all-time highs are just around the corner. All right, so these are the things that I'm kind of wrestling with right now. Technicals have been a godsend. Um, they So far, the technical levels that we've drawn and pointed out have pretty much done what they're supposed to. We'll see how that plays out here uh, over the next couple of weeks. Remember, we also had this huge rebalancing bid from pension funds coming into the second half of March. Uh, you know, month end, quarter end, there's a lot of markup shenanigans that go on. So it's kind of hard to know how much of the last week's price action is real organic demand versus short covering, quarter end markup, pension rebalancing, stuff like that. So we'll we'll have to see. I mean, now, April is traditionally a seasonally strong month for the market. So it'll be interesting to see how April starts off. Obviously, we have Q1 earnings uh, coming up in the first few weeks there of April. I've I got to tell you, like the I've never seen such a disparate set of opinions regarding how Q1 earnings are going to look and how Q2 guidance is going to look. You've got some of the big banks pounding the table that Q, Q1 numbers are going to be fantastic. Uh, estimates are too low. And then you've got another set that are basically saying Q1 numbers are at risk. Q2 guidance is going to be ugly. Uh, you know, uh, I think everyone seems to kind of agree that the second half of the year the numbers are at risk. Not everyone agrees that, but most of the bulge bracket research that I've read over the last couple of months seems to be in the camp that suggests that the, the second half of the year, that's where most of the risk is. But just given everything we've gone through over Q1, um, given what's gone on with the fact that inflation has refused to decelerate so far anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how companies guide for Q2. Uh, I think there is a lot of room for them to guide down for Q2 and potentially by, you know, also guide down. I'm not sure how many companies are going to guide for the full year um, versus just guiding for Q2, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I, I think my attitude is that there is quite a bit of risk going into these Q1 numbers. So yes, April, seasonally strong month for the market, uh, but we've had an enormous bounce here, an enormous run. Now, it seems like everyone's bullish. Everyone's looking, oh, all-time highs are coming. So it seems like the, the whole script has completely flipped from just a few weeks ago where everyone was worried about us going into a protracted bear market. And now all of a sudden, now the bear market's over. Uh, you know, the correction is over. It's back to the back to good. I mean, you look at the way that meme stocks have been behaving. You look at the way that these big tech stocks, Tesla and Apple have been behaving. It's like, we're back to 2020 or 2021. It's like none of the stuff that happened in January and February ever happened at all. No one has learned any of their lessons. So it's going to be an interesting uh, next few weeks for sure. Uh, we will continue to use our technical analysis uh, to as our guiding light because, again, there's just so much going on here in both directions. Uh, it's very hard to know. I mean, we're just seeing 
so many fundamental disconnects. Just when things start to make sense, they stop making sense and you get divergences like you've had here with uh, treasury bonds and big tech stocks. Anyway, I'll leave it at that for uh, today. We will talk to you again tomorrow.